Welcome to the Jubilee Stratford podcast, where you can listen back on our weekly sermons, special guest speakers, and more. To find other resources and information about who we are, visit www.jubileestratford.com. If you like what you've heard here on this podcast today, don't forget to subscribe. I'm talking about actually or incrementally becoming more real to me each time I talk about them. So it is actually a mutual experience here of enjoyment. Um, Because the word of the Lord is the Lord's word. And uh, even the vessel that's releasing it is enjoying it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so, you know, we don't want to ever confuse the uh, the vessel, the conduit from the source. That's right. <laughs> you know, uh, conduits are not sources. So um, I did bring a couple of books. I'm, uh, I'm in the process of writing about seven books. I have two finished. Uh, I've been writing those seven books for 40 years. <laughs> um, if I actually could piece together all the things I've written over the years, I'd probably have about 20 books worth. But, but I have two in print. The first one we published was is called Five Smooth Stones. It's based on the life of David. It's a book on leadership. Uh, you know, when you look at the life of David, I, uh, I've always been enamored with David. I thought the uniqueness of his revelation... He clearly understood things about the heart of God that nobody in his generation did. Hardly anybody in the Old Testament. I mean, how many of the, even the, of the high-end prophets heard the Godhead speaking to each other while they were worshiping? David did that. He heard the Father speaking to the Son and the Son back to the Father. You know, I mean, it just really... Uh, but he understood, you know, things about the kingdom of God, things about the heart of God. And so he postured himself in ways that were un- incomprehensible to people around him and did things that made no sense, uh, out of order, out of time. But it's because he understood something about God. But particularly that, that difference in his understanding was reflected in how he de- dealt with people. So I, I initially wrote five series, five articles but five different people that were key in David's life and how he dealt with them. Uh, one of them, of course, is Saul, which uh, is a book, Tale of Three Kings, great book about that relationship. But I touch on elements not covered in that book. And then I talk about um, his son Absalom. I talk about uh, uh, Abner. Uh, and there's two others I can't remember right now. But <laughs> Anyway... Um, so I, I, I write this, uh, let me give it, read this. It says, David picked up five smooth stones before meeting Goliath. Countless teachings amplify the drama of that fateful day, yet it is not necessarily his greatest accomplishment. While it stands out clearly among the host of significant conquests, one victory does not a dynasty create. David lived a life filled with wisdom and courage. And so, um, anyway, I, I, I just, that's just the introduction to that. So, really amazing, if I could do say so, insights in there, because I don't claim them to be mine. They're God's. I just happen to see them in the Word. The other book I got here is called uh, Interpreting the Prophetic. Uh, I've done a lot of teaching over the years about the prophetic. 
One of the things that I've noticed is people get prophetic words, make some classic mistakes in terms of interpreting them, um, particularly their timing, um, you know, how to, how to steward a prophetic word. I talk about that. So I use three chapters in here to talk specifically about stewarding promises. If you've got a prophetic word that hasn't come to pass, waiting is one of a few components. Um, most of us just wait. Waiting is not enough. Waiting will not bring it to pass. Um, and so uh, how do you incubate prophetic words? It's actually a very clear biblical process for bringing a word from sown stage to fulfillment stage. So I talk about that and as well as some of the other classic mistakes we make in interpreting prophetic words that have caused people endless amounts of frustration and misunderstanding. So, the two books, they're $15 each, but today only. <laughs> if, if you get them both, I'll give them to you for 25 and I'll throw in this CD message on forgiveness. And so, um, absolutely checks. Yeah. If they bounce, I know where your pastor lives. Yeah. No, I'll just hold him responsible. These were your people. Okay, so, uh, hallelujah. Um, you know, um, we're in the prayer room there. I, I like to, my goodness, I am so enjoying prayer these days. And a few years ago, I was teaching on prayer and seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord. You know, seeking the Lord is very different than worshiping the Lord. Worshiping the Lord can be a part of seeking the Lord. But seeking the Lord is not praying. It's, it involves a pursuit. And, uh, you know, I remember some people questioning, why, why, uh, why desperation in prayer? You know, isn't that a manifestation of a lack of faith? I mean, doesn't it say, you know, that he's happy to give us the kingdom? Fear not, little children. You know, assuming that, you know, desperation means fear. It doesn't mean fear. Um, what about fervency? It says the, the fervent, you know, prayer of a righteous man avails much. Why fervent? You know, what's, what's the need of fervency? What's, what's the significance of fervency? And um, my short answer to that is, is when we are coming to God, we are not overcoming his reluctancy to give we're overcoming ours. Okay. When you are, when you're actually trying to receive something from the Lord, you're posturing yourself to turn to him, fully to him. It's the inability to turn to him that is the crux of the matter, not his willingness to give. He's willing to give, but the threshold we're crossing is a crossing, is a threshold of fullness. You know, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And so, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was talking about this at our church, and and, and I said, you know, what, what's this, what's it sound like to cry out to the Lord with all your heart? You know, and, and I was sort of putting it out there. I mean, you know, do, are you are you desperate enough for God to leave nothing on the table to cry out to Him with all your heart? How much reserve is there in your cry? 
How much protection of my dignity, you know, when there's people listening, you know, how, how, when you, the thought of, you know, Jesus emptying himself, it's the kenosis. Can you empty yourself in crying out to the Lord? So I was challenging the church like this and challenging the, you know, the issue of the heart. It actually says we don't know the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And in Hebrews 4.12, it says that the word of God, the purpose of the word of God coming in is to reveal the actual intent of the heart. Did you know that? Do you know the production of faith in your life that releases the empowering of the Holy Spirit hinges on faith? And what faith does is it pierces to your heart to show you what your heart actually thinks. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We think that the sincerity, the posture, I'm will, the, what I want to exhibit is the reality. No, what you want to exhibit by doing the right things, lifting your hands and saying in the name of Jesus. All, these are the things your sincerity in your mind and your conscience tells you should be done. The reality of what you are is your heart, which is hit from your sincerity. It's hit from your mind. It's undiscoverable except by the word of God. This is the predicament we find ourselves in. Because we think, Why isn't God doing more? Because we're here. We're charismatics. We pray in tongues. We lift our hands. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We're, we're doing everything. We are a New Testament biblical church. Why is there not more power? Because the reality of what we are is different than our thoughts about what we are. That's a, that's a heavy pill to swallow, eh? And and uh, and I was telling uh, Jerry, I said, you know, about ten plus years ago, the prophet was saying to me, he gave me this prophetic word, and, and it went like this: said, he said, oh, the things I would do for you if you cried out to me. Won't you cry out to me? And I thought at the time, I thought, I am. I am crying out to you. But, you know, <laughs> my definition of crying out evidently is not his. And to tell you the honest truth, in the last six months of this year now, to this point, I've tapped into something where I feel a whole other dynamic in my heart engaging in my crying out to the Lord. I'm thinking, where was that part before? I feel this fullness of my heart leaning into him. Where was that before? Why couldn't I pull it online in my pursuit of him? You know, again, we, we have this superficial perspective, the kind of Christian that we are. And it's not like God's mad or anything. He's just saying, listen, it's, it's deeper, it's more elusive than you know. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, your sincerity is wonderful, but this is many deep layers deeper. And so part of what we're, we're doing in this, this class is sowing seeds of desire and possibilities that, oh God, is there a level of transformation inside of me that, that can go a quantum leap further? And if so, I want to... I'm just, you know, I don't even know. I don't, and you could be saying, I don't even understand this. But I, something in my spirit witnesses. There's something 
in my heart that's not fully engaged, I'm saying, Lord, I'm willing. So, Lord, we're saying today, we want to be a part of the generation of Jacob, the, the generation that seeks your face. Father, we want to be able to say, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face, Lord, I will seek. My spiritual father, Bob Birch, who Jerry knows from Vancouver, used to say that all the time. And I, I thought I understood it. But I totally did not. And so, uh, God, have mercy on us as we move into some of these things. But, but um, we are overcoming a reluctance, not on his side, but on our side. Reluctance and inability to humble ourselves. I mean, think about this, right? Esau sells his birthright to his brother Jacob for a bowl of stew. That's in itself. That in itself is telling. That's that speaks of a, a value system that's quite wonky, right? I mean, he's just not aligned with God. The reason Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, is because Esau was not disposed to value the things that God valued. Jacob, despite the fact that he was a liar and a deceiver, he valued at least the right things. <laughs> that's loud. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's the turbine, the prayer turbine. So, so Jacob values the right things. Jacob do not, does not. I mean, Esau does not. The, the outflow of that is Esau is willing to let something go. Jacob's willing to do anything to get it. This is the reality of their hearts. And then it says, you know, in the New Testament Hebrews, it says... That when, when Esau realized something of what he lost, he, he wept. It says he, he, he cried out to God with strong tears, but he found no place of repentance. He found no, pla- no ability to turn his heart. What was he doing? He's weeping. Can I get better, any better than that? That's the point, yes. What you... The, the, the behaviors you can do. Oh, I'm, I laid on my knees. I laid on my face. I, I yelled. I lifted my hands. I was so uncomfortable about lifting my hands in front of people. And I, 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 teared, I, I teared up a bit. And, you know, that's very humbling for me, God. And it's like, yeah. Those are superficial postures. Anybody can do that. A B actor can do that. I'm trying to engage something, you know, significantly deeper in you. Jacob had that disposition of heart towards God. Esau did not. And then when we look at the disciples, John had it. In a way, Peter did not. And James did not. So John was John the Beloved. He had his head, he had access to Jesus. You know, you know. others were saying, ask him this. Well, you ask him right there. Well, we know he likes you more. I thought God's no respecter of persons. What does no respecter of persons mean? It means he treats us all equally? No. It means we all have equal opportunity. But he does treat us according to our hearts. 
Equal opportunity does not mean equal access. God is no respecter of persons. That means because you have money and because you're tall and because you're a woman, because you're a man, because you're white. Those factors are non... None of those give you status with God. But there are things that give you status. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. So it's like... You know, we've been, we approach God on a basis of theology, on a basis of, you know, our charismatic mindset, on the basis of crossing certain T's and dotting certain I's. But there's an invisible criteria hidden inside of us that is far more important than the visible ones. I mean, you think about this, right? Esau. Esau was, man, he did everything his dad wanted. He honored his dad in every conceivable way. I mean, his dad... His dad was a godly man. He was his dad's favorite. Jacob, he was a bit of a, you know, he probably knitted with his mom. Right? You know, he was he was more on the delicate side. He wasn't a man's man. And he was a bit of a liar. He couldn't really handle confrontation. He was a bit of a deceiver, a sneaky little brat. Right? And and yet God says, This is this is such a contradiction. Jacob have I loved. I mean, right? The criteria we think makes us a candidate for God's grace is maybe a little bit different than we thought. And a lot of times we think, I mean, for a long time, I just loved that scripture. I said, Jacob, you know, I always thought I was Jacob. So I'm the Jacob type. You know, I'm highly favored. And, uh, And others started to have more favor than me and and the Lord began to say, actually, in this context, you're Esau. What? How is that? What are you talking about? You know, we love, you know, we, we disproportionate giving if we're on the receiving end. Right? Come on. You know, if somebody has more anointing, if you, you, know, you have such an excellent spirit, somebody says, yeah, well, thank you. I'm glad I have more than others. I mean... Glory to God. <laughs> yeah. So, so what are these things? So, Holy Spirit, penetrate into our lives. Penetrate into the hidden places of our hearts. And God, we do you want to give permission today? Holy Spirit, let's just take a minute. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we want to see. We want to see beyond where our vision is reached. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Oh God, Holy Spirit, come search out the deep things of our heart. Holy Spirit. We give you permission. Just on this, and this is this is kind of a bit of a sidebar, but let me tell you this story. I was telling um, 
Trevor, this last night. Uh, I was in Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas in 1983 or so. And um, I'd been seeking the Lord, and I'd, I was a Christian about just about less than a year. And I'm in my dorm room, and I'm reading 1 Corinthians 13. I often would read 1 Corinthians 13 because my whole posture is I'm ingesting the word. I mean, I'm meditating. I'm looking at all the criteria of, you know, what I need to be as a man of God. You know, I just desperately want to transform. And and I'm, I'm leaning into God. And, I'm, of course, I'm always reading this. But it, unconsciously, as I would read 1 Corinthians, you know what 1 Corinthians is? It's the love chapter, right? And all the characteristics of love are there. And instinctively, when I would read one of them, love is kind. Love is kind. You know what would pop into my mind? My version of kindness. My version of kindness. Which is something that I did that I conceived or thought to be kind. So, you know, I'm in, I'm, I'm in the lunch line, right? I'm standing there. Some guy comes up. Oh, you know, I'm sorry, late. there's a huge lineup. And do you mind if I butt in front of you? You know, and because uh, I'm, I'm late for work and... And I'm thinking inside, I think, yeah, well, you should have come earlier <laughs> if you had to work. But, oh, yeah, absolutely, brother. You know, be be my guest. And I did that at the time, not because I wanted to, but I perceived it to be the right thing to do, which is a great sincere act. And I thought, well, that's kindness at work, except I didn't want to do it. And I just ignored that. That that was a non-factor. But but it's part of the depth. It's like it's like if you've got if you've got icing on a moldy moldy banana, does that make it all good? I mean that's what that's the reality. But I just saw the icing because I just sort of dismissed the stinky stuff underneath. You know my resentment that he came late. My resentment that he's putting me out and. You know, my, like, you know, but hey, you know, this is a reward because now I feel good that I was kind. And, and I was, you know, just sort of putting that on my little epaulette, you know, one act of kindness for me. <laughs> you know, and this is what I thought Christianity was, you know, you feel like doing this and you should do this. And whereas God's saying, actually... Real, real transformation is you do this because it's who you are. Jesus, when he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He wasn't caught between two worlds and saying, like, I'd like to burn them up. I'd like to strip their flesh off of their bodies and dangle them in the air. But no, I can't do that. I'm Jesus. <sighs> Swallow that. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That's our version of Christianity. Stuff the bad stuff down. Present the good Christian. <laughs> no, tra- God's like, I'm interested in transformation. Top to bottom, Christ-likeness. Where you actually love people. And the characteristics of love is kindness. And you can't be anything else because that's who you are. Kindness is not a behavior you dress yourself in. It's an attribute of a nature that belongs to Jesus. How much of your life does it occupy? So anyway, that's the background. And so 
I'm in my, my room and I'm reading, you know, the list. And usually in my mind, I instinctively, kindness? Oh, yeah, remember that guy? Check, you know. Long-suffering. Well, my roommate, you know, came in last night late, making all kinds of noise, waking me up after curfew. I haven't reported him. I didn't yell at him. I've forgiven him. I pardoned him. Just like the gun shinders list, I pardoned you. Pardon you, but give me a gun, I'll shoot him. <laughs> anyway, so I suddenly, as I'm reading in my room this time, the words come alive and the essence of the nature of Christ that are behind those superficial descriptive words suddenly comes like fire alive and begins to penetrate, penetrate this this facade of niceness that I've painted over the selfishness that is me. And it just, it is shocking as each word I'm reading takes a, one layer, it's like onion peeling back and peeling back and peeling back. And I'm shocked because how did I not know it? How did I not How did I dismiss as insignificant all these very obvious layers and layers and layers of, uh, what's that word we use today when it's very dramatic selfishness? Narcissism. Narcissism. This narcissism, this, you know, and, and, and it's just, I'm shocked, shocked. Everything I did, absolutely everything I did. Uh, it says, love does not parade itself. Suddenly I see myself in worship, you know, up there dancing, worshiping the Lord. My whole mindset is, hey guys, look at me. If you really love God, you would be doing this. I, how did I not know I was doing that? Now it's obvious I was doing that. 90, 99% of my, my orientation was, I am doing what every good Christian should do. Look at me. How did I not know that that's what's happening? I mean, do we really want the glory of the Lord? Do we really want the fire of God to come in and, 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 and uh, make things clear? That's what the judgment seat of Christ does. It says the, the, the day of the Lord, all things will be made clear, he says in Corinthians. But Mike Bickle, I, I adopted this, he said, shock me now, Lord, don't shock me later. Shock me now, Lord. Don't shock me later. Which is an easy prayer to pray when you think you can't be shocked. So anyway, I, I, uh, I ran across the... Uh, well, I had another part of the, the, the experience, but I ended up in the prayer room, weeping on the floor, wondering if I was even saved. Because in the light of him, I couldn't hold a candle. I mean, nothing in me measured up. Do you know what enables you, you to say to you be the glory? When, when your heart knows you deserve none of it. None of it. You deserve none of it. That all of your transformation was an impossible miracle by the grace of God. But yeah, but I, I at that time, you know, I made myself do the right thing. And what he was, he said, no, yeah, that's, that's a great effort to look godly, but it's skin deep. 
Transformation by the grace of God is a gift you are given. And when you are really walking in that grace, not only are you changed, but you absolutely are convinced who did it. And it is the abilities of the Holy Spirit imparting to you a nature that is infinitely above anything you can ask or think. These are the these are part of the byproducts. This is not charismatic world. This is transformation. I mean, the reason why we don't have the influence in our culture, in our cities that we do, is because our Christianity is skin deep. But what if the glory of God exploded in our midst and we became living manifestations of love? That's where this is going. Does that sound good? Is that a little bit heavy? No? (laughs) Okay. Good, good, heavy, eh? Hallelujah. Well, I'm getting hot in here. Is that is that me or is that the lights? Might might be the fire. Um. All right. So I started in the last session. We were talking about tongues. So let me let me just uh, pursue this a little more, and I'll start to uh, underscore the significance of this related to where we're going because a part of what the goal we want is how do I be led by the Spirit? I want to be led by the Spirit more. And and the truth is what, I mean, the language is, is so uh, um, subjective, right? You know, to be led by the Spirit. You know, if I, if I say, oh, I was led by the Spirit to do this. Well, what proofs do you have that you were led by the Spirit? You know, and if you are selling somebody, be led by the Spirit, what tangibly can you tell them could they do to make sure that that's in fact happening? I mean, it's a subjective. It's a, being led of the Spirit is connecting to an invisible realm. There's no objective standard except the ones we try to make out, which are false flags, really. They're, they're not necessarily real measurements because we can be... We can have the complete appearance of the form of godliness and yet it not be of the Lord at all. That was the problem with Israel, all the Pharisees. They were the epitome of what the, the natural mind thought righteousness looked like. And Jesus said, yeah, you guys are murdering, you know, dead, full of dead men's bones, vicious, self-worshipping gurus. You hypocrites, liars, villains. I mean, the very highest form of righteousness possible. That was Jesus' opinion of it. And so this is what we're born into, and nothing has changed. We're actually looking for a manifestation of godliness in our lives that comes by the power of God, not by the power of suppression of our old nature. Suppressing your old nature only hides what is. Transformation is the appearance of a whole other nature. That's what we want, right? Because if you spend your whole Christian life suppressing your real desires and natures, do you know what you, you end up with? God owes me. Right? How do, if you actually live that life and you come in here and you sing songs that say, to you be the glory, what do you really say? I deserve the glory. I'm the one that's being nice to people. Right? Anyway, I won't go there. You can go there. (laughs) It's all about me. (laughs) 
<clears throat> These are the realities. When the glory of God really comes, the glory of God, it is going to expose every tiny little bit of flesh. Now, some people really have a hard time with this message. And I got a great revelation from Mark DuPont a few weeks ago when he was in my church. He was talking about the scent of, of the aroma of life and the scent of death. Has he talked about that here? Well, he, he started talking about that, and he wasn't meaning this, but suddenly I realized, he says, he says we are the, the stench of death to those that are perishing, and we are aroma of life to those that are saved, right? And, and he said, it's actually a prophetic picture of the temple. He said, because when you're coming to the altar... Right where the the altar of sacrifice, the, the the labor where the blood is, you know, where the animal is sacrificed and everything. He says, if you're on this side, you're coming into death. If you're on this side, you're coming out of death into resurrection. And so, for the people following coming in, you having been died and raised are the scent of death. The next thing that they do experience. Isn't that a great prophetic picture? He actually didn't say this, but that's what I got out of it. I was meaning to ask him if he meant this. But, but what happens is the same thing is true, not only from, from the saved to the unsaved, but to those who are, have died more, to those who have died less. That, that when you start talking about dying to yourself, it is, the, it is a stench of death. It, is, it, it, it causes a quaking, a, a dread, a fearfulness of something that you may be not ready to lay down. And, uh, and so that's why Paul, when he talks about that I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection, is because there's constantly a death and a, and a living, a resurrection and a dying that goes on in your life. And he said, I'm not completed. I don't consider myself to have attained. In other words, there's still dying going on in my life. So I'm still seeking to know him. There's just areas I haven't died yet that I don't know about. And so in the same way, some people, when I get around some people and they start hinting to me about dying and there's a dread in me of dying because I'm not willing to lay it down yet, that there can be this sense that, oh, and I've seen this Christian say, well, that's just condemnation. You know, we're, we're you know, that's just condemnation. You know, no, 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 you need to die. And, and God is releasing a foreboding sense of, and scent of death that's coming to you because you, your time to die in this area of your life is coming. But the hope is, and what gives you the faith to do it, is the hope of the resurrection. Hope of the resurrection gives you the courage to enter death as a Christian. That, and that tells you that you, you're not, even though you're laying something down, you're not really losing anything, you're only gaining. That's the hope. And so... When you have that, you're eager to lay things down. Anyway, we should go on. I'll skip over that. But we were talking about tongues, and I was equating to the fact that, you know, in John 7, we have this analogy. And it's a very, very important analogy because it ties into a, a pretty significant pattern. But he says, the one that believes, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, we have this problem, and I don't think we do in this room, but part of the problem is people have this image of spiritual things or heavenly things as being like Philadelphia cream cheese commercials. Have you seen those Philadelphia cream cheese commercials? You know, you got the harp, the girl up there in the clouds, and, and this is what heaven is. It's this sort of ethereal realm where everything is soft and doughy because it's, the, it's not really real. It's, 
you know, it's, it's ethereal. It's smoky-like. It's mystic. It's, it's not, there's no substance to it. That's why we illustrate it with clouds. But actually, nothing could be further from the truth. That on the, in the spirit, that the spirit world is more concrete, more real, more enduring, more, has more solidity than the natural realm. And that's what it says. In, it says, by faith we know that that which is seen is made out of that which is not seen. And that which, that which is seen is more an illusion of permanence than that which is not seen. And so the, the idea is that, is that the, in, the invisible things of God are more concrete than the earthly things. So when he talks about uh, rivers... When he talks about a throne, when he talks about structures like like cities and the the New Jerusalem, these are actually solid things. And it's not just metaphors for certain truths. So when he says, out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water, there is a real river. There is real water. It's not the only way that that life can be be, uh, represented. But there is a concrete version of this thing called life, and it has substance in the things in the realm of the spirit. So when he's saying, when you speak in an unknown tongue, he says, he says, you're releasing rivers of living water. Okay, now I want you to think about that second. Just just think like, okay, we'll transfer, we'll change the the illustration. Let's so we're standing here, and Trevor is a super, super sweaty guy. And uh, and, and he starts sweating and sweating. And what happens to his clothes? They start to get wet, right? And what if he sweated even more, you know, like, like a quarter-inch hose, like a half-inch hose was, you know, being drained over his head. Eventually, it's going to start dripping on the ground. It's going to pool around him. It's going to start to, to flow out from him. What if you were doing the same thing and you were doing the same thing? What if, what if when we were speaking in tongues, we were actually releasing a substance of water? What, if, what would eventually happen if we went long enough? To the room. The whole floor would be wet, right? Before long. And then if somehow it could collect, it would start collecting. Until the threshold or whatever it is couldn't contain it. And then it would start to flow out our doors and into the city. Imagine, imagine if the construct of God's church and the way he meant to affect the region around you. Is that a river of living water would flow through you. And that you would drink from that and you personally would be satisfied by what comes through you. It is a manifestation of the presence of God coming out of you. Not coming from up there, but coming from within you. The kingdom of God is within you. But you get so much that it's not only you know, satisfying your needs, but it's spilling over because you got too much. And it starts to affect the world around you. And then if many of us... Start affecting the world around us. That means people who can't generate enough for their own use would drink from what's flowing out of you. And when there's too much for even a church, then it starts to go past the boundaries of the church and starts filling, establishing the need. What if the knowledge of the glory of the Lord that's going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea is limited and expanded by the amount that you yourself release from your life? There's no what ifs. That's actually what's happening. That's actually what's happening. And so the influence of a single collection of people that we call a church, the influence in a community, 
is connected to how much life they produce and how much more they produce than what they need, than what they can consume in-house. What if church growth was based on how much you can, people you can draw by how much you can sustain? You know, I had a pastor in, in Texas when I was going to school there, and he said, you know, we don't steal sheep, but we do grow grass. <laughs> you know, we do provide something. And so what this, part of what this thing is, and we're not touching on it yet, part of what this seminar is about is that we're trying to get people to move from the position of consumers to producers. We're actually, because the number of consumers you have in a body versus the number of producers will determine if you have room for more. Okay? That, um, anyway, that, so Father, in Jesus' name, solidify that within us. But this idea that living water comes out of you and that living water can begin to touch and affect people around you is a very real reality. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Have you ever been in church one Sunday and you come in, you're a couple minutes late, and you know the, the band's already gone, they're worshiping, and you get in, you're texting, you're talking to some friends. Well, maybe you're not texting, but some of the young people are. Those guys in the back are. <laughs> and uh, you know, saying hi to people. And then you're about 20 minutes into worship and you're thinking about the roast in the oven, you're thinking about your to-do list tomorrow, and you're thinking about, you know, you shouldn't have yelled at the kids so much on the way to church, right? You know, all, you're, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, your attention taps into God. Have you ever had that? And this all, oh, God's here. Oh, shabababada. <laughs> right? Why did that happen? Why did that happen right then? It happened because somebody else in the room was releasing something. That that what, the reason and the reason why it's so powerful is is like in the presence just growing and growing and growing throughout the, the worship service is that somebody's worshiping and often it's the people on the band because they're in that place where they just have to right and they're worshiping and they're they're turning their hearts towards the Lord it's releasing a substance into the room as that substance. Reaches a certain undefinable um, level of density in the room, it starts to catch the attention of people who are not attuned to it. It starts to grab their attention. Uh, if you remember, there's a scene in in Rick Joyner's book where he is he is there's a war coming, and he comes to the church and. And they're all actually in a park, and they're, you know, it's like, it's like a Woodstock festival. And he said, he said, hey, there's a war coming. Oh, no, 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 you know, we're past all that stuff. Peace, brother. We're all about love. And he said, you know, well, God's given you weapons for a reason, and he's trying to, he's trying to warn them. And I can't remember what the scenario, but he's trying to warn some people about this thing that's coming. And, but he says they're standing there, and they're so numb. They're looking at him, and it's like they're zombies. And they turn to him and they start pulling out arrows. And 
<laughs> cranking back their bows and they're ready to shoot at because they're they're just there's such a level of unaware like they, they're in a catatonic kind of semi semi aware status the reality is out in the world there's a hypnotic trance of the spirit of the world that from the moment you stop being oriented around the things of the spirit is trying to align you into a cadence of a catatonic state of dullness towards spiritual things. And that's why uh, people who, young Christians, fresh born again, that's why they need multiple meetings of the week. Because if they only have Sundays, they will fall away. Because by the time they get around to Friday, Saturday, they are so back in line with that thing of the world that the idea of faith, Christianity, and God, there's such a distance. They're falling back into that canatonic place where they they almost don't want to go anymore. And when they do come, if they don't get that experience of being awakened, then they go into another week and get further distance from the presence of the Lord. That literally is what happens. I, uh, I was, I was going to tell a story about that. So, so what, what leaders do and what ministries do is shake them, is awaken them, is actually bring them into a realization. No, this is real. And, that's, and it starts right with worship. As they snap to grid to a presence in the room a knowledge, a reality, and, and, but they can't by themselves maintain the awareness of that reality. Praying in the Spirit was the thing that helped me because I realized that when I prayed in tongues, I could go in and no matter what the day was like, no matter what the morning was like, I'd wake up some morning and be depressed by the, by the fact that I didn't have a girlfriend, be depressed about the fact that I didn't have any money, be depressed about the fact that, you know, my, I, I, I'm not a good Christian or whatever it is. But I knew that I could pray in the Spirit and I could just go into the Spirit and I could pray in about, 20, about the 20-minute mark, something would snap over. I would come into something and it literally... Suddenly, the thoughts of God, prophetic knowledge, awareness, the reality of spiritual things suddenly became just more real. My mind was brought into an awareness of a dimension that was starting to become obscure. But I could pray in tongues for 20 minutes and all of a sudden, boom, it's like I'm in the middle of a great anointed worship service, yet there's no band just me in my prayer closet. Just me in the car. So I started doing that all the time. Really? Jerry? E2? <laughs> so, yeah. So the dynamics of a church service, the, the dynamics of a church service is some people come to church and there is enough awareness that they know their role, their role is to create an atmosphere. And so they start worshiping right off the bat. And they start releasing the mist of God's refreshing presence. And when it begins to collect in the atmosphere, it begins to touch people that are less and less removed from that reality. And they start to, they start to come online. And as they come online, they start to release... 
a substance of the knowledge of the glory of God because it's coming out of their spirits as they're worshiping and praying in tongues, as they're releasing spiritual things. There's actually a commodity being released in the room. Have you ever thought, oh, I wish so-and-so was here? You know, and you're in a meeting or... Or you go back and you try to tell them about how rich the atmosphere was, and somehow your words just can't convey. It's like, it's like, oh, I guess you had to be there because you did. There's actually a commodity being released that's invisible to the naked eye, but it is more real than anything else in the room. See, the 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 way to track the effectiveness of the church. It's not by the eloquence of the sermon and not by the skill of the musicians, but the commodity of life that's in the room that's measured in, in moisture, humidity, spiritual density of the knowledge of God. Does that make sense? Can I repeat that? <laughs> it's one of those things. I, I don't know if I could repeat it. Just a, Is there a recording? Yeah, there's a recording. But, but you know, it's the, the real measure... The real metron of the effectiveness of the church is the atmospheric breakthrough that comes in the room that awakens people from whatever degree of catatonic sleep they're in uh, from the effect of the world around them. And so, so there's, a, there's a, the actual substance of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord that awakens them to the reality of the kingdom of God. And, and what we're called to do is to create an atmosphere that awakens them, that that touches them. So, so this is this is why you get verses like this. It says, uh, of course, you know, we've got Revelations twenty-two one and two. You've got seven, John seven thirty-eight, but you also have uh, is it Second Corinthians fourteen two. It says uh, that he that speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men. But he speaks to God, right? No one understands him. How be, it, how be it in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Hold on to that for a second. Uh, uh, Jude 20 says, praying always in the Holy Ghost, uh, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So he says, the one who prays in the unknown tongue edifies himself. And he says, the one who prays, in the spirit, builds himself up. Same words, edifying, growing, developing, nourishing. And it's because of this. When you pray in an unknown tongue, the spirit of God inside of you is praying because the spirit of God knows that and searches the deep things of God. So when you're speaking things in tongues, you're speaking mysteries. Now, they're a mystery to you, and they're a mystery to me, and they're a mystery to people to our left and right, unless... Unless it's one of those unusual moments where it happens to be for the benefit of that person and it's in their language, which does happen. And it happened frequently in the New Testament services because they talked about that. But, but largely, you are speaking mysteries. Who knows those things that you're speaking? God knows them. Now, if I have a lawnmower that I, I'm using... And it's Trevor's lawnmower. You would say that's the tr- that's the lawnmower of treasure of Trevor. If I'm speaking knowledge that's a mystery to me, but is a knowledge that God has, I would call that the knowledge of God. 
It's God's knowledge, the knowledge of God. When you speak mysteries, things that your natural mind does not know, and nobody else around it, you are speaking mysteries. So let me, t- Jerry, I'm going to give you a five-second opportunity here. I want you to tell us mysteries that you don't know and nobody else in the room knows. Go. Can't be done, right? Except every time you pray in tongues, that's what you do. Every time you are praying in tongues, you are praying the mind of God on a scale that you could never divine or in, 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 interpret, intuitively grab with your, with your thinking, even by reading the scripture. You are praying the will of God. You are praying the mind of God. You are praying the mysteries of God. You are praying things about your own future. You are prophesying. You are. When I began to, I, when I was praying in tongues, I would. I remember I started praying in tongues, and I started to feel the momentum and those momentums that would keep me going, keep me going. But I remember all of a sudden I would get to this place where all of a sudden thoughts began to come. It would be scriptures. I'd see faces of people. I would see countries and flags and nations. And so then I would begin to. Oh God, I pray for France. Oh God, I pray that you touch France. Oh God, I pray that. And I would start praying for cities in France. And I would. I'd see people. I'd, I'd start praying for people. I, I didn't know that those people were in trouble, with it, but I started to realize that there's coinciding circumstances that connected to these prayer things. So I started realizing, oh, that sense of momentum, that sense of unction, that sense of weightiness when I'm praying in tongues, I feel that with these, these things that I see. So when I pray in English, I started to think, I think I'm interpreting my own tongues. I think when I'm praying in English... I'm saying the things that I'm saying in tongues because it has the same momentum as when I began to feel when I first started praying in tongues and it's been growing and growing. So I can go in and out of tongues and it's like I would have this momentum and then I'd go into English and when I feel like I had exhausted the momentum, I would go into tongues. And then the momentum would start up again and carry and then I'd feel these these, again, these circumstances and I would pray in English or scripture would come and I'd dec- make declarations about my finances and my wife and, you know, who I didn't have. And, uh, and I started to realize, oh, this is prophetic. This is prophetic. So then later on when people started coming to me and say, you know, could you pray for me? Oh, what do you want me to pray for? I have an unspoken need. That was a big favorite in Dallas. You know, I have an unspoken need. In other words, prophesy. You know, you know. Uh, anyway, so I'd, I'd sit there, I'd pray in tongues, and then I'd start to see things. I'd start saying, uh, well, you know, I just, I'm just thinking of this and this, and so I pray this and this scripture, and, and people are like, oh, how did you know? I don't know. I just felt the momentum of this, and I prayed it. So I started putting two and two together. This is that. That, that unction... So then when I begin to get that in the context, when I'd see somebody and I'd feel the love of God for them, and I'd just start to talk about, I feel this for you. I feel like God is saying this in your life, and da-da-da-da. They're, ah, that was that. So that's how I began to prophesy. Where did, it, where did it all begin? The momentum that I felt when I prayed in tongues. Because this is how Jesus always conveyed the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like it's like this. It's like a man that did this. Why did he say it's like this? Why did he always give us similes? Because there's nothing that actually can fully represent the kingdom of God. In the same way, when I say to you, be led by the Spirit, there's nothing. Well, it's a feeling. I have many feelings. Be more specific. Is it a pizza feeling? Is it a, you know, I, I want to eat feeling? Is it, you know, I've eaten too much feeling? 
Like, what kind of feeling are we talking? No, no, it's nothing like that. Well, what is it? There's no way to give you an adequate parallel. So what God has said is, uh, I'm going to cause you to be connected with my spirit and your spirit. I'm going to release that water of living life that's coming out of the throne that originates in me. And it's going to flow through you. And that's the commodity that one day is going to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And, uh, and I'm going to do that by creating a, a, a fountain here and a fountain here and a fountain here. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to get people to begin to walk in unity. And the walking of unity, you know how uh, one puts 1,000, two puts 10,000 in flight? Well, one walking with another is going to multiply the volume of the water that you can increase. It's not going to be the addition, you know, the adding one, one fountain but another, but a, one times 1,000. The, the capacity, so unity in a church, in a body, when there's peace, and we're walking in the spirit, we're worshiping God in spirit and truth, we can begin to produce the kind of life of volume that is a hundred times or a thousand times greater than what we could bring as individuals. And what God is going to do, he's going to flood cities with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And this is what Charles Finney discovered that there was an atmosphere that just came with him, that he was constantly in his interaction, his faith. You know, he had, I don't know what kind of aperture he had on his spirit. It must have been huge. But he just, this climate, you know, this storm clouds of God's presence came with him and covered a, a sphere that was massive. It's a foretaste of a people that would arise walking together who would have so much life that that life would begin to literally quell, create such a peace and such a goodwill that it would arrest the atmosphere that would begin begin to change. I mean, there, oh gosh, the things that are in our future. I began experimenting. I was at a football game once, and it was the end of the season, and it was the uh, BC Lions, and we were in Vancouver, and there started to be the makings of a riot in 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 the field. And I knew that because I was in Edmonton the first time Edmonton won the Stanley Cup, and I went to a movie on on. Um, downtown right off Jasper Avenue. When I came up, when I went in, there's two guys jumping up and down with a, a tin foil cup. When I came out of the movie, two hours later, there's thousands of people. And when I came out, I felt this energy, this unusual atmosphere. I thought, oh, this is, this is interesting. And so I went home. Well, it turned into a riot shortly after that. I mean, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of damage. This is in Edmonton. So I'm in Vancouver at the end of the game. Last game of the season. We've, we're already out of the playoffs. Anyway, people started running onto the field in, in the, the beginning of the fourth quarter. And, you know, it was one. Then the next thing was two. Then it was three. And then all of a sudden, there's like 20, 25 people running around the, the field. It was getting out of control. And the teams leave the field. And I begin to see a couple people plant themselves right in the middle of the field and chanting, you know. And I started to feel like, oh, I know what this feels like. This is that. This is that atmosphere. I can feel it. I, I, I remember going to Jerusalem and feeling it there everywhere I went. It's like right underneath the surface. It's rage. It's uncontrollable animosity. It's a spirit of war and violence. And lawlessness. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I wonder if I have authority over this. I thought, I was going to start praying in tongues. 
And I, I closed my eyes and started praying in tongues, and I said, I bind you. I bind you, spirit of riot. I bind you in Jesus' name, spirit of riot. Lord, I release the rivers of living water. I release the peace of God to begin to silence that voice in Jesus' name. And literally from that moment, I'm sure there was probably other Christians that were praying as well, but it literally just <clears throat> turned around and dialed down. And within about 10 minutes, the players were back on the field. And, uh, and we went, what if crime sprees were not crime sprees? What if they were doors in the spirit that were opened by spirits and people either inadvertently connected or aligned with spirits or purposefully aligned with spirits to release violence? What if witchcraft? What if sorcery? What if people directly aligned with these things were involved in a warfare to open the gates of hell in the same way you and I are called to open the gate of heaven? And what if the war that we're about is whose government will appear in the city and that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the connection you have and the ability to start right where you are, no matter what you feel, no matter what the worship band is doing, no matter what the atmosphere in the room, and just begin, you know, whether it's praying in tongues or actually worshiping, to just begin to release the river of life. What if the river of life was a commodity that opens a gate and creates a possibility for God to land in a moment? And that that landing was not predicated upon some invisible, distant, or or uncontrollable factors, but what if they were all based on the willingness or the capacity of people who believed, who knew that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, and I'm creating a place for the presence of God right here and right now. That's where we're going. That's what church is about. Hallelujah. So, that's... Yeah. Well, there's two components to it. There's the visible component. That's not the most powerful. The most powerful is, are you just doing a movie or are you unveiling a river? You know, is, uh, what, what, is, is your Christianity uh, the hidden part or the, or, the, or the visible part? And what, what, our, what our faith is trying to, that the invisible part that we release when we do the visible part is the powerful part. But the powerful part is not the movie. It is an atmosphere that we believe for that comes as we're praying in the spirit and worshiping. And that, as, that we bring with us because we've learned to bring a presence every place our foot shall tread. He gives it to us because there's dominion in our steps. So that what, when you go into work, and this is part of the, the deal. And I'm, I'm going to transition into the next part and you'll see more of, of this. I started to realize that when I was depressed or upset or whatever, I could go and pray in tongues. And in about 20 minutes, the, the thoughts of heaven began to so invade my mindset and trump my feelings, they just evaporated and I became oriented to this other mindset that was victorious. And oh, it doesn't matter what people think or people do. I don't have any fears. I don't have any worries. No flies on me, mate. He owns, he owns all the silver and all the gold. We're good. And it's not me being optimistic. It's a knowledge that I come into. Right? So 
over the years, I began doing this, and I started to notice that I could affect others close to me. You remember I was talking about when you come into a, a service and how, you know, there's a general atmosphere that's created. And, and we think of it in terms of emotional or atmospheric or because of the sound waves. That's far less than the invisible. There's two things going on, always the visible and the invisible. And the invisible part is the most important. So I had an experience. I was teaching at a Bible school in Edmonton. And I came into my class one morning. And I had, um, had about 10 students, th- three or four of them were pastor's kids. I came in the room, and there was just an ugly atmosphere in the room. The kids were, well, there was a couple of adults, so they were bickering at each other, you know, kind of a snarly, nasty, you know, whatever. And I thought, oh, this is really ugly. But, you know, I'll just get into my material, and before long, we'll just, you know, we'll snap to grid. And so we get in there, and hold on, let me pause for a second. I, I addressed something, and I feel, I feel like I touched something in the spirit. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I break every power. I break the power of every lie. Lord, we say, Jesus, be magnified. You are the victor. Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I pray that the fear of you, Lord, will enter the atmosphere and cause a reverberation of the authority and the majesty of Jesus that will cause the enemy to retreat to his hole in the name of Jesus. Lord, we say your glory is being unveiled in this place and no weapon formed against us will prosper in Jesus' name. Amen. So I... uh, I was, uh, so I thought, you know, well, I'll teach. But I, I got into my teach about 10 minutes, and I had this feeling like my words are dropping to the ground. And it's just, this is going nowhere. I mean, I'm having no effect at all on whatever this is in the room. So I said, okay, pack up your books, guys. We're going to the prayer room. And um, so we go into the, not the prayer room, the chapel. So we go to the chapel, and I said, we're going we're gonna to press through. Little did I know, nobody had a clue what I was talking about. They had never broken through. They had never experienced a breakthrough in atmosphere. And so I lay on the floor and like, like feeling like an idiot, I'm praying. Now when I'm praying, okay, I have an awareness that, that I'm releasing actual substance. And I know somehow that my fervency opens the aperture of my heart. So I'm praying fervently. It's kind of like when you go to have a shower, Right? Do you turn the water on a lot or a tiny bit? A lot, right? Because you, you want to drench yourself in as much water as can come, come out of that, that shower head. You turn it on full. You're going to fill up the bath. You don't turn on a trickle. You turn it on full to fill up the bath because you want to inundate yourself in it. So I'm releasing in volume and intensity like a, you would a shower. I mean, there's a lot, there's a backup of water, but I'm. There's something about sound that breaks through. There's something about sound. Not, it's not just volume, but with intensity in the release, there will be an increase in, in volume and, and fervency. So I'm, I'm laying on the floor and I'm praying. You know what's, what's happening in the room? Crickets. Nothing. I'm praying in tongues. I'm loud. I'm the only one. One guy is praying, but he's more like, 
to stir myself, you know. And it's just that bad. All of a sudden, I hit, I hit something in the atmosphere. And it's like far more weighty. And I'm thinking, oh, man, if I don't start praying, I'm not going to be able to preach in, in half an hour. So I start praying. I usually do it. Pray out tongue, in tongues. Pray out loud. There's four of us in the car. The driver's from Poland. He's familiar with this atmosphere. So he, he starts praying with me. So we're both praying in tongues. And, and after I start to come alive, I start, my hands start to move. Because I, I feel like something's happening. I mean, you know, have you ever seen, you know, supernatural movies, or, you know, the X-Men or something like that, where they're, they're going like this, or, and there's actually things coming out of them? Or Superman movie, you know. <laughs> you know, like there, there's, a, there's, there's actually a body language that relates to releasing a supernatural power, right? You know, so, so I always, I can't help my body engaging because I, it just feels so natural that there's, there's something going on that's more than what can be seen. And so anyway, I'm praying in tongues and praying in tongues and praying in tongues and praying in tongues, praying in tongues. Two guys in the back, not a word. Zip, nil, right? Nothing, not a squeak out of them. And we literally come to this place where all of a sudden, boom, and I feel the present. The second I felt the break, the opening, I didn't say anything. My tongue didn't change. Two guys in the back, guess what they start doing? In unison, at the same moment, they start praying in tongues. This is about atmosphere. It's about bringing something that releases others. And if you understand it, if you're at the place in your Christian life where you can't create your own atmosphere, somebody else is creating it for you. Okay? What is the future of the church if 99% of everyone that comes to church is dependent on somebody else creating an atmosphere, right? What if 10%, 20%, 30%, I don't know what the magical thresholds for, for beginning to get a breakthrough that extends past the population of the people that are part of the congregation. I don't know what it takes. There's variables beyond my understanding, but I know this. That the more people you have that go from the place where church is not about receiving but about giving. It's about providing something for others who can't provide it for themselves. Then the effectiveness of that body is going to be increased. We have three meetings in my church a week. We got a Friday morning one. We got a Wednesday night one. We got a Sunday morning one. The Wednesday night is prayer. You got a cross section of people that come. That not everybody who's who comes on Sunday. Some people come occasionally, as you know. It's probably just like here. Some people come regularly. Some people never come. Then I've got another meeting that I have on Friday morning. That it's by invitation only. It's some key intercessors, my pastoral staff, some of our elders, and a handful of others that I felt like. And the objective is this is that when on a Sunday morning, you're going to have, pardon the terminology, this is not meant to be, a, you know, to diminish anybody, but you got the most amount of dead weight. You, you understand by dead weight? You got, you got the most amount of people that are coming who cannot contribute. Not because they don't want to, they just don't know how. They are unable at whatever level to contribute. They're Christian, they're, they're obviously there, that's great. But they don't know how to contribute to the atmosphere, but they are waiting to be contributed to. They're waiting, you know, and they, they come to church out of obligation because it's Sunday at 10 o'clock. 
And things happen to them that encourage them, etc. But they don't know why they happen. They don't know what factors make it happen. They, they think it's the sermon. They think it's, oh, I like that the band there. But it's really the atmosphere that's furnished by the faith of others in the room, by the prayer of others in the room, by the worship, faith, and ministry gifts and outpouring of the Spirit that comes through the music, and by the revelation power and authority and life that's in the the word that's being released. All of those things contribute to their ability, their level of awakeness. But the fact is, some people contribute greatly to that atmosphere. Some people contribute partially. And some people don't know how to contribute at all. You can only handle so many who don't contribute at all. Right? Before you don't get that, that symphonic breakthrough that makes it a valid kingdom moment. So Wednesday night, what happens is we can have a breakthrough moment and an entering into a realm on two levels. We, we enter in sooner and we go deeper because the capacity of the people is greater. It's kind of like this. If you're going to go on a significant hike, you know, the 10 miles, you know, 100-pound packs or 50-pound packs, and, you know, up jagged cliffs, you're not going to take three-year-olds. Right? You need seasoned hikers if you're going to take this track. If you're going to go, you know, so you, you, deter, you look at the crowd that you're going to go and hike with. And if it's a bunch of families and kids, you're going to go to the park and walk around the well-paved park or, you know, that's a half a kilometer away from your house. You're not going to do, you know, a hearty excursion into the outback. You need experienced people because novices can't do it, right? In the natural as in the spiritual. So... Um, so what, what we do on Wednesday night, it was trying to explore things because despite the fact that the people that are there, I as the leader, I'm responsible. I want you to be able to, to, to develop two things, to enter in at will and to enter in further than you've ever gone before. So each meeting we are, we're actually entering into a realm of the spirit. We're exploring the mountain of God and, and, and we're using the ministry gifts that we have and the current level of experience to pull people in so that... On another occasion, they can pull others with them to places that others can't go. Does that make sense? And so Friday morning is the best meeting of the week for me. Because I, when I'm home, I lead that meeting. And I don't have to apologize. I don't have to explain. I don't have to justify. I just say to that group, all right, we're going to enter in. And people snap to grid the people that are there and just begin to, it's rare. There might be one person or two having a bad day and they're distracted and they're not on, on point, you know, they're whatever. And you can tell people when people are not engaged, right? But that meeting, all, you know, we're just all of a sudden 20 of us, boom, we're going in. You know what happens? Atmospheres of the presence of God come quickly and they come in various shades and levels of power with revelation, knowledge, prophetic decrees for our region, intercession, and all kinds of things rapidly. And what happens is these people who are some of the most advanced in the body are able to experience things that they might not by themselves. But then it gives them an ability to, to facilitate an opening of a door on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night for others that can't go in at will at all. Does that make sense? So, I'm, taking, I'm standing in your space. So, 
Let me, uh, we got about 35 more minutes. Are you guys okay? Anybody, any have a question about this? You know, this is okay for time to, for a question. Then I'm going to share with you a few other things that have happened to me along this line. Yes. That's good because, honestly, for a local church, the more people you have showing up uh, on Sunday morning who are already in, right, who are actually releasing from moment one, the more capacity there is for an, an enriched environment for others that, that barely get to ground zero by the end of su- church on Sunday. You know, because they're inundated in depression and, and unbelief and attacks and everything. I mean, your ability to raise them up out of that, that mud is based on the kind of atmosphere. And the atmosphere is not solely on the worship team and whoever's preaching. It's actually created by the collective faith of the people in the room and their, their, their disposition spiritually to do these kinds of things. So... I didn't really understand all of this way back. I had glimpses of it, and I was experimenting with some, some of these things. But, you know, there was a point in my life where I thought at this point it was like, it's kind of vague. You know, I, I thought, okay, there's, I'm accessing something. I understand this. I'm going into something. I'm touching something. But I, I don't know how to quantify it. Well, I ended up a few, years, uh, a few years ago. It was quite a few years ago. I was at a conference in Kelowna. And I was I was in the green room with Steve Steve Stewart. We were just talking about him earlier. Steve Stewart is a vineyard pastor from Vancouver. And him and I and a third guy, I can't remember who the third guy was, we've been asked to pray because in the afternoon they were doing this prophetic outreach in Kelowna. And, um, and we were asked to pray about how we should approach this thing. So we're praying. Meanwhile, in the back of the room over here, there's a group of people. And this group of people are praying over a lady who's being really, really loud and really emotional on the floor. I don't know who she is. But there's about eight people praying with her, and she's, you know, making quite a scene. And I had just come out of a season where God had sort of pruned me of of emotional things and the need to feel emotion. and, And I realized emotion had taken me off track of being led in the spirit a lot of ways because I was looking for a cathartic, you know, release and, and experience and things like this. So God had just taken me that, out of that scene in my own personal life. So I kind of have a, a little, you know, bit of a negative slant on, yeah, too much emotion around here. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, you're one of that lady. I don't know who you are. You're, wow, what a carry on. You're quite a drama queen there. Anyway, I don't know who she is, but I'm distracted because we're praying. But I feel somehow that there's something maybe else going on over here. And I'm, I'm sitting there and looking back. And well, it's Don Potter and Christine Potter. And they're there. They're, they're praying. But they're not the ones on the floor. Uh, the one on the floor. And there's this other guy who was an assistant to Paul Kane for many years. And he's there. And there's a couple of others I knew. And I can't remember who they were right now. But, they, you know, I'm thinking, well, these are pretty valid people. If this person was out to lunch, you know, they'd, they'd probably be putting a stop to it. It's okay. They'd, all right. Give her the benefit of the doubt. There's probably something valid here, <laughs> you know. But, you know, just, just to, I'm conveying my, my, my reticence 
because, you know, despite what we go into, before we go into it, there are things that keep us from going into things. Mindsets, beliefs, right? Things. And all these things, they're, they're kind of intangible until God puts his finger on them and says, yeah, this is your problem. This is why you're not going into this. This is why you're not experiencing this. You have a mindset that's blocking you. So anyway, I'm sitting there. We're done praying, and the Holy Spirit says to me quite clearly, come over here. I want to show you something. So I wander over, and, and most of the people are you know, kind of weeping and crying. And, and this lady on the floor, now you've got to realize, she is going all out. And one moment, she's laughing. One day she's, oh, Lord. And then she's loving on Jesus. Jesus, you're so beautiful. I love you so much. I, I just want to just pour out on you. And, and then the next thing you know, she's like, she's like, Hi, oh, and I have to preach today, and I don't know what to say. And I thought, you're preaching? <laughs> and she says, I don't know what to say. I mean, what do I know? I'm just a woman. And I thought, no, I wouldn't say that out loud. Anyway, so all this going on, and I'm thinking, okay, all right, Lord, obviously something's going on. What do you, what do you want to show me? And, and, and the Lord said, release your heart. And I thought, okay, is this emotion, or is this really you? And I felt a tug my spirit. I thought, okay, that's you. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up. I didn't even know I was closed, but I realized then. Okay, what do you want to do? I, I released my heart, and immediately I went into a place, and I began weeping. Just literally, immediately began weeping. And I the beauty of God began to flow over me. The wonder of the Father's love. It was, it was on a significant level. But I'm, while I'm experiencing that, my mind is going, I've been here. This room, I feel like I'm in a place and it's not just it's not just I'm in the spirit. It's like there's geography to this place. I'm in a room. And I've been here before. I think, when did I come here? How did I get here? Why did I leave? How can I get back? You know, what what's going on? What what is going on here? And and I'm I'm weeping and weeping. And so I, I uh, end up unpacking after about 20 minutes, and I go out, and I'm just wondering, okay, what was that about? By the way, the lady was Heidi Baker. Yeah. Yeah. Some other things happened that weekend that illustrated to me that the going in... Now, here, here, here's the deal. When in John, in the Revelation... Before he got the revelation, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice say, come up here. I want to point something out. When he said, I was in the spirit, that wasn't just benign Christian language. That wasn't just, I was being contemplative of the Lord. I was meditating. I was I was praying in the spirit. Being in the spirit, I realized when he said that, it's a place. It's a position. When I talked about praying in tongues, praying in tongues, and then breaking into a place where the cascading thoughts of God brought me above the fray of the world around me, 
That is a place. Let me, let me say this. That you have been given access to a place in the spirit. That, that as, you, as you, it's kind of like a Star Trek movie. You know when they get on the pad and they get translated from one place to another. When you pray in tongues, you're actually, you're actually, and I get this picture oftentimes. I'm, I'm praying in tongues and I feel like I'm in a tube and I'm filling it up with water. And when, the, when it gets full, I, get, I move from this world into another realm. I literally feel like I'm catapulted into something else. But it takes a certain uh, uh, mindset or surrounding of the presence of God to suddenly be to translate, to move into that. I've never had an open vision. I don't see anything. I just feel incrementally higher atmospheres of the knowledge of God that tell me you're not in Kansas anymore. And, and it's becoming more vivid... Each time it happens over the months and years of my life. And so what I experienced with her there was I realized that at different points in time over my life, and I remember one was with John Wimber, one was with a guy named Ron Walro back in 1982. There are moments in under ministries where those people had the ability to go to places in the spirit and what their ministry did was take others into those places. And that what ministry gifts do is that they, they expose you to realms of the spirit from where they get things. And that what we're doing when we're worshiping is we're entering God's mountain to experience his life. Now, there's so many things I could say about this, and I, I, I don't have too much time. But does that seem a little incredible to you? No? Let me read a verse here. I, uh, I didn't bring a physical Bible, so I'll have to pull it up here. But I want, I want to read this because, because I, I feel like most of you here are at a place where you may or may not realize that you have actually been to many places in God's mountain. And sometimes it's by virtue that the anointing of others have taken you. When, you know, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And even though we don't leave a room physically, in the spirit we are entering into something. That's why the language of worship is, I will, you know, about ascension into the mountain of God. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. There's actually a moving into a place. Now, in John chapter 10... John chapter 10. John chapter 10, sorry. Oh, Romanica, Lion, Rebessani, Lowentail. John 10. In verse 7, it says, Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who can, ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, I've heard sermons on this many times. They're generally, invariably, they're, they're, they're evangelistic sermons. You know, I am the shepherd. Um, there's a door that's open to you. You can you can be saved, right? Have you heard those those? Do you know what this touches on that, but is not primarily about that? Can I can I show you something that's in this verse? 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That's great. But after you're saved, what do you get? And we'll go in and find pasture. Is that what it says? In and out. In and out. Why would you go out? You will go in and out. I begin to realize that in my prayer life, the things that I get when, when I go in are revelatory. And when I go out, I preach them. I share them with others. I, I make them available. It's like, it's like Caleb and Joshua going into the promised land, grabbing some of the fruit and coming out and saying, look what you could get if you go in. What, what, if you could, what if you could go in and have some of this? And that ministry, I remember years ago, right around the time this was happening, I was watching a video, and I'd never followed Benny Hinn. But I remember I was watching this, this thing, and, and the Lord said to me, Benny Hinn, he's taking people into a place. He's actually connecting them with an atmosphere that they don't know how to get to. I said, really? He said, yeah, Watch. So he's singing this song. It's usually this old Pentecostal song. And, he, and he's like, sing it again. And he says, sing it again. Sing it again. You know, and he's like, okay, 15 times. That's great. And then he's, he says, it says, there it is. There's what? Our worship is part of an entering. It's part of a navigation into a place where realities begin to unfold. Have you ever been to a meeting where you... Something is spoken to you, something is shared, and it strikes you with such, so profound, but it's so simple, right? It's just like so clear in the moment. And then you go back and you're talking to a friend, and you say, I went to a meeting last night, and man, it was good. Oh, what, what happened? Well, you know, it was so simple. It was just like, you know, it's like the spirit is really powerful. And and he brings you things that you eat and go into. And I mean, and it's, it's available. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> hey, I guess I had to be there. Yeah, because, because it, was, it was unfolded for you. You were taken into a place of revelation where it was clear because it was self-evident. It wasn't just being talked about. You are being brought into something. That the kingdom of God is about entering into something and then coming out of it and trying to bring others into it. And that's why it's so significant. There's a certain place in your spiritual life where coming to church stops being about what you get out of it. And it starts being about what atmosphere can you generate and what can you add to the atmosphere by just going in yourself? Don't. If you've got people in this room, your posture going forward is, okay, when I go to worship, I am not waiting for the worship team to stimulate me with a presence or my favorite song or, 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 or. I am deciding from this time forward, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, I have a well in me and there's living water 
uh, is in that, available in that. And I'm going to release that. And I'm going to start changing the atmosphere of my life at will. I can't tell you how many times I run into Christians and I said, I said, you know, do you speak in tongues? Well, I did. I did. Yeah, a few times. You know, well, when was the last time? Well, it was a conference about five years ago. You know, I was in the conference and there was this amazing presence and I just, I just had to speak in tongues and I, I couldn't stop myself. So most of the time you're, you're stopping yourself. <laughs> you couldn't stop yourself this time, so you did it. You know what that is? That's not Christianity, that's voodoo. Do you know what voodoo is? Voodoo is, I want an experience that I'm not in control of. That my assessment of its validity is how non-involved I am. If it hits me, if it overwhelms me, then it's, then it's God. If, if, if I can't stop it, then it's God. That's completely contrary to what the doctrine of the apostles says. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. The spirit of the prophet, your spirit, what you have access, what you've been, you've been given access to, you've been given access to. So I said, but well, why wouldn't you just pray in tongues every day? Well, I'm not feeling the thrust. I'm not feeling that overwhelming atmosphere that makes it so much easier when I'm under a powerful ministry to do it. Or in a, an amazing moment of glory, it just seems way more valid because all the blockages are gone. Well, that's the point. The point is, God wants you to go in on purpose and to move out of the way all of the blockages to your life. That when you don't feel like praying in tongues and you, you just decide, I'm praying in tongues until I feel like praying in tongues. What you're doing is you're eroding a tyranny that's trying to be over your life, that's always trying to shut you down. It's the Philistine spirit that's putting rocks in your well. And you're saying, well, so many rocks in my well, I guess God doesn't want me to pray in tongues. No. God wants you to release such a volume that all those rocks, those Philistine blockages, get spit out of the way. So that you can worship on the drop of a dime and create an atmosphere in your car. When, you, when somebody comes to you and has a need, you, you, within a few seconds of praying in tongues, you've got a prophetic song. You've got a prophetic word. You've got scriptures cascading that bring life. And they're saying, wow, that was really powerful. How did you get that? Because each and every day I've determined I'm going to live in the presence of God. I am not an orphan. I don't have to wait for an invitation. I am a child. I belong in dad's house. The fridge where all the sustenance is mine. I can go in at any time. He said, eat freely of the table that I have set in front of you. This idea... That I'm a stranger, that I don't belong, that I'm not allowed, that it's illegitimate if I actually do this of my own free will, borders more on another system. And I go to countries where people say, you know, if, if the spirit hits me and I don't know what I'm doing and people have to keep me from hurting myself, you know, because I'm in a, uh, that's really God. No, it isn't. You know what's really God? Somebody aligned on purpose to the things they know to be true. Hallelujah. Pillars in churches. Pillars 
leaders, the ones who God are going to reward in Revelation, say, I'm going to make you a pillar in my house. They're going to be pillars in his house because there were pillars here. You get to be a pillar there because you became a pillar here and now. Well, what's a pillar? An unmovable object that holds up the rest of the structure, that contributes as a weight-bearing member of the body of Christ, that is stable and always aligned with the, the whole infrastructure because they're led by the Spirit. They live in the Spirit. They access the Spirit. That's what we're called to do. This is our, this is our right. This is our destiny. This is our training. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Well, there's other things that we can talk about, but I wonder if we can maybe close today by spending a little time praying in the Spirit. Why don't we come up front and closer to the the front here and maybe maybe as we sort of uh, huddle together, <clears throat> that uh, we can have an effect on one another. Hallelujah. Now, can, can I, how hard can I be on you? Be real hard. <laughs> What, what, what part of what part of your body is a rudder? The tongue. The tongue is a rudder, right? The tongue is a rudder. Where you want to go is ordained not by where you want to go, not by what you think about, but most easily by what you say. What you say. What you say. There's something about sound. You've been made in the image of God, and when God created everything that is, he didn't think it, he spoke it. He thought it, and then he spoke it. When you became born again, it says you believed in your heart, but you weren't saved yet. What did you do after you believed in your heart? Oh, come on. You confessed with your mouth. Right? See any pattern here? The pattern is sound. Sound, one of the primary building blocks of creation is light and sound. Light and sound. God is light and he spoke. And he made the creation. The world around us is ordered by light and sound. You have light in your spirit. Sound is when you release light. And so you order your world, you determine your destination, you change the atmosphere around you with sound. That means don't sit pensively when we're trying to create an atmosphere. Release sound. Don't think about it. You know, the, the whole idea, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things. The, the, the soaking era of the body of Christ, soaking is a great thing. But soaking only accomplishes some things. The language and the posture of soaking is not giving, it's receiving. Okay. If we're creating atmosphere, we have to give. We have to. The atmosphere is within you. You're actually creating it. You're bringing it on the outside of you. So if you want to contribute to this, use your lips. Use your lips. And how, well, how long? Don't stop. Get in 
the discipline that you're, you're, you're not trying to soak in a moment. You're trying to create a moment for others. Does that make sense? When you start creating moments for others, you'll be amazed at the kind of moments God creates for you. You're paying it forward. That's what maturity is all about. My meat is to, my food, my substance, not milk anymore, but my food is to do the will of God. When I provide something for others, that becomes sustenance for me to go to the next level. And so we're here today because this is the next step in our development. What if we could create atmosphere? And what if what I want next from God will be provided not through me soaking in and sitting under somebody else, but as I diligently pour out, God will pour something else into me. That's, that's That's the pay it forward model of the kingdom of God. So let's pray in tongues and challenge yourself to not stop. Well, yeah, what if I start feeling tired? What if so much peace comes over me, you know, that I feel like, you know, I should just be quiet? Don't. Right? Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You know what that means? You know the context of what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you can stop prophesying, but it means you can start prophesying. It's subject to you. Well, wouldn't I be grieving the Holy Spirit if I stopped? No. And you wouldn't be grieving the Holy Spirit if you started. Autonomy, authority, the right to administrate the elements of the kingdom of God is what it means to be a son. That's what you're coming into. So this iffy, oh, I got a feeling that maybe I should stop or pause. No, no, you're trying to break through all those iffy feelings to be a pillar. All right, let's, let's pray fervently and out loud. Your sound creates atmosphere. Your sound changes the electrons of the world around you. Your sound brings life. Indo canamotela proala pratike sonopel Indo canamabatil in Jonobaya Indo canemayan in Bayo Salal in Barconi Bayote Indo canamamani to Ila Itele E. Sanuan Itani make la hardy be wheel of a manui throne and maya. Eboe Sanicot Ezoe Abote Conamo Gerahutemero Barolo de Bicarai E. Sonuin de Yonelwe Trouble the Galo, the Barrio, the Bayusetelior. Ambodimanio Keremar, Bombroe, Labrani or Seda Bakil. Now keep doing it, keep doing it. I want to prophesy some things. I want to talk to some things in the spirit. 
Because the enemy attacks you with sounds. The enemy attacks you with sounds or vibrations. And what happens, the enemy has brought structures over the course of your lifetime. And those structures have sounds that vibrate sympathetically with them. And what happens, the Lord nullifies your advance in the spirit by releasing sounds. And those sounds begin to connect with something that's established in your psyche. It's physical and spiritual at the same time. So we say right now, God, I nullify, Lord, the sounds, the sympathetic sounds that would cause us to be lulled into sleep. Lord, in Jesus' name, the hypnotic powers of sounds, familiar sounds from familiar spirits in this city, in the name of Jesus, I declare a new immunity, a new immunity to the sound that would cause a deadening, a silencing, a sleep, uh, a lethargy, a slumber to come over the people of this church. The people that are here today, I say, awake, oh sleeper, awake, in the name of Jesus, 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 Father, in the name of Jesus, God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Ito casote, embadro calara represo. Hell! Oh, tamanio! Ito andere solo a. Oh! Irambarike! Breakthrough! 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 Hell! Imbamaniora diamasa! More! More! Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I break the power of all witchcraft, everything that would, every sound, every voice, every ideology that would bring you in the name of Jesus into uh, slumber. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can I tell you a secret? Everything the enemy tries to do against you, he learned from God. Everything, everything that has been done to him, he's trying to repeat to do to you. And that's why you see scenarios where when the kingdom of darkness is advancing, Christians are attacking one another and begin to consume one another. On the other hand, in the Bible, when the kingdom of God is advancing, the enemy starts to fall on himself. And armies, whole armies, start pulling swords on each other. The, the enemy has learned that from seeing it done to him. There's something about the sound of the Lord when it arises, creates confusion in the camp of the enemy. And the enemy starts to kill each other. Not only that, there are sounds that cause the church to go into slumber. And there are, why, why is the enemy using that? Because there are sounds that cause demonic principalities to go into slumber. There are sounds that come out of the church. There are sounds in worship. There are secretly coded uh, cadences and things that will lull uh, a Leviathan to sleep. 
The Leviathan will sleep under the power of certain sounds. And there's a sound that God is bringing from the people. It's like the desolation of smog, that movie. You know, the, the dragon was over the gold and the silver. It's a prophetic picture. The enemy is over the wealth of nations, but he can be made to sleep with certain sounds. Things will wake him up and things will cause him to sleep. And the Lord has sounds that will cause the enemy to slumber. So, Father, in the name of Jesus. God, we don't always have to come, Lord, to to slay the enemy. We can come and bring him to sleep. There are sounds of worship. Beautiful sounds. The sounds of peace that make his eyelids heavy. Lord, kingdom, godly, hypnotic sounds to evil that quiet and close the doors of the kingdom of darkness. Father, show us the weapons of mass destruction that you have ordained for the last church. Lord, thank you, God. There are weapons that are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. Weapons that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. So since about 325, I begin to feel really strong witchcraft against me. And it just lifted just now. Just lifted. So uh, I'm telling you, there is more than enough available. In the kingdom of God. Amen. Do you want to close us for today? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, thank you, Mark. You know, I just, I keep, um, I feel like something is going to be lit from this weekend in the spirit and in us. And uh, I just, uh, I just want to invite everybody that's here to come tomorrow morning before the service starts. And if we can engage in this level of, of prayer and intercession before we hit the service, especially with the worship Worship to you. I really feel like the Lord is going to crack something open over us. So um, I'm just thinking if we could come at 9.15 tomorrow morning and we'll just gather together and let's engage our spirits into what God wants to do. And I'll let the worship team know about it as well. So Lord, we just seal this time. Father, we thank you for the work that's been done in the spirit inside of us and in the atmosphere. Holy Spirit, we just say that there will be no retreat in Jesus' name. And we thank you, God, that you are starting something new in us, re-bringing something to life. And so, Lord, we just pray that it would just catapult into this, this evening, Father, and also tomorrow morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you back here at 7 p.m.